they relieved the palms of their branches as the people's palms grasped and then brandished those leafy emblems of both festival and rebellion. These were a people who felt as though they had already spent their second, third, and last chances on zealots, men like Barabbas and that now famous Maccabean. But this Jesus, this new champion, was riding into Jerusalem on a donkey as Zechariah had envisioned him. This king was coming to daughter Zion to take the wicked Roman chariots away from Ephraim. Surely this Jesus was the one to bring God's people salvation. Surely he was the one pictured all across the prophet's hopeful panorama. So they shouted, save us please. They cried, Hosanna, Hosanna. And this Jesus would answer yes to their cry of save us, save us, but not in the way they expected, not by the violent overthrow predicted by their palmy political propaganda. For the humility of that donkey was nothing compared to the way he would answer their shouts of Hosanna. For the path on which he rode took him not to a throne, but to a court, not to a place fit for a heavenly king, but to the feet of an earthly Lord. It was there before another crowd in the hands of Pilate, whom God endowed with the power to answer the shouts rising loud, demanding crucifixion for this man who was so recently avowed as Hosanna by those who had laid down a pathway of both palm branch and personal shroud. It was there that he would show how he would answer both crowds, both the Hosanna save us cry and the incessant crucify. For what was missed by each tribe, by those who cried out their Hosanna boast and those who cried that this man should be nailed upon two posts, is that Jesus would say no to neither request. Instead, he would say yes to both. In fact, he would accomplish salvation by such infliction. He would be Hosanna by undergoing crucifixion. He would say yes to cries of love and yes to cries of hate. And for us, it is good news that he answered this way. For we too cry Hosanna. We too need to be saved. But we also cry crucify him. We also are filled with hate. We need to be rescued from our evil, but when goodness comes to us, we take what is good and by our evil, hang it on a cross. But this is how he saves us. This is how he loves us. He answered our cry of need and our cry of hate with one final yes poured out as he cried so that the sin that put him on the cross he paid for as he died and the salvation for which we asked by his yes he supplied. So come lay down your branches and come lift up your palms 
arms for the king of our salvation said yes to the night of death so that he could raise the light of dawn. That's it. That's it right there. What you just saw is the greatest, most costly, compelling, life-changing expression of love in the history of the world. It's a matter of history. It happened for you. And friends, we are here to celebrate that today. Let's thank God for the love of Christ that will take him all the way to the cross, everybody. Man, we love you. We thank God that you're here to worship with us today as we honor the saving work that Jesus did on the cross. He's the only one who could. Thank God he would. And friends, I hope you're praying with me that everybody under the influence of our ministry who needs Jesus to do a saving work in their life will connect with him over the next three weeks. Friends, over the next three weeks, we're praying, man, that there will just be baptisms everywhere, that people will put their faith in our Lord Jesus and declare their faith to the world by being baptized into him. And man, I'm praying that we'll see people come forward at every one of our campuses to confess their faith, to be baptized into Christ. I'm also praying, and I hope you will too, that everybody at Compassion Online who has put their faith in Jesus over the last year will summon their courage and tell somebody and honor what Jesus did for them by being baptized wherever you are. I mean, wherever you are in the world, Africa, Asia, Alabama, any foreign country, man, uh, we hope you will connect with the Lord. We hope you'll send us a picture, uh, send us a video of your baptism, uh, send it to uh, compassionchristian.com forward slash baptism, and we're going to make a celebration video for that the week after Easter. Uh, you got to have your video to us before midnight on Easter night, uh, but I'm just telling you, man, we are looking forward to hearing the good news of how God is working in the lives of people, not just here in Savannah, but around the world through this global pandemic, and man, we're going to have a big celebration the week after Easter, and I hope we'll be celebrating your faith. If you've never declared your faith in Jesus, I hope you'll do it today. Honestly, before it's too late. I know some of y'all are thinking right now, Cam, dude, what's the big deal? What's the big deal about going public with your faith, you know, being baptized into Christ? I'll tell you what the big deal is. The stakes are sky high. And if you don't understand that, you don't get it yet. And I'm praying you will today. You know, a few years ago, I got it. I got, I got two messages in the same week that reminded me how urgent and important it is to make a decision to follow Jesus. I got a phone call on a Monday morning telling me that my 31-year-old nephew, Josh Turpin, had died in his sleep while taking classes out at Dallas Seminary. Uh, Josh was the first compassion Christian to move from Savannah uh, to another country to serve as a full-time missionary. Uh, man, he felt like God had called him while he was in Bible college in, in Canada to go to Greece to help build a prevailing church there, and he did, and our church sent him. And man, when he got to Greece, he led courageously. And man, God worked through him and produced so much fruit there. His last year in Greece, they baptized more people into Christ than they had for the last decades. And I was so grieved that a young man who was so committed to Jesus and so faithful in ministry should die so young and so suddenly. Next Sunday, talking with a guy on the front steps of our worship center, <clears throat> he's explaining to me how his sin had just about killed his marriage and was on the brink of going nuclear and blowing his family completely apart. And we talked about how much he loved his little girl. And he asked me to pray that God would heal his marriage. And I said, bro, I'll be glad to pray for you. Pray for your wife, pray for your daughter, pray for your marriage. But man, if you want God to restore your life, you need to put your faith in Jesus. 
And he said, well, I'll think about it. Said good night, got on his motorcycle. Five minutes later, he was dead. Dead. Wrecked that motorcycle on Abercorn Street. Blew himself into the arms of God. And I was so grieved. I was just so grieved that just when this guy is beginning to realize what he needed to do to get God's power flowing in his life, he lost his life. And let me tell you the question that just haunted me. That I've asked myself a hundred times. What happened to those guys? And I tell you, I'm absolutely sure Josh is in heaven today. Not because he's a missionary, but because long before he moved to Greece to serve Jesus, he put his faith in Jesus and what Jesus did for him on that cross. But what about that other guy? Dude, what about you? What about you? If you died this afternoon before the sundown, what would happen to you? Now, friends, I'm telling you, the answer to that question could not be more important. Jesus taught that every person is an eternal being. From the moment you were conceived in your mother's womb, you received an eternal spirit from God that will never cease to exist. So if you were to die today, where would you start your eternal life tonight? Would you be in heaven? Do you know? Would you not? If you do know, how do you know? Friends, I'm telling you, this is the most important question you will answer in your life. If I were to die today, would I go to heaven? And there are only three possible answers. One is yes. One is no. The other is, I hope so. And let me tell you, that third answer is either a really uninformed version of yes or a really unintentional version of no. Now, I'm telling you, John was the best friend of Jesus, and John said, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know. Everybody say no. no. So that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, here's the idea. You know if you're married or not, don't you? I mean, you know if you're married or not. You know if you have that relationship or not. Well, dude, you should know if you have chosen to be a follower of Jesus or not. And if you're unclear about that, turn with me to Luke 23, Okay. Open your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke. We're going to go to Luke 23. Man, this is an amazing story of a man who was crucified with Jesus. And listen to me. This guy walked up that hill called Golgotha without eternal life. And when they took his body off that hill, he was in heaven because he found a personal relationship with Jesus on top of that hill. And what happened to him could happen to you, and it could happen today. So, man, let's pick up this story. We'll pick it up right after uh, Jesus has already gone through his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, which was a brutal thing. Uh, after the trial in front of Pontius Pilate, which was kind of a kangaroo court. Uh, after the merciless beating by the Roman soldiers. Uh, after he carried his cross through the streets of Jerusalem, down the Via Della Rosa, outside of the city to the hill that the Jews call Golgotha. The Romans call it Calvary. Uh, after he was nailed you know, to a wooden cross, and now we're going to pick him up while he's hanging on this cross between two thieves dying, dying on purpose in our place so that he can make a substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. It says in verse 35, the people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, well, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers came up and mocked him as well. They, they offered him wine vinegar and said, hey, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was even a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? That's the Greek word for Messiah. Dude, save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. 
Dude, don't you fear God, he said? Since you and I are under the same sentence, we're being punished justly. We are getting what our deeds deserve. This man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today, everybody say today. Today, today you will be with me in paradise. Now friends, there are some pretty amazing spiritual surprises embedded in this story. And I hope you'll think with me through them today because I'm praying that there'll be a lot of folks online and on all of our campuses who are gonna follow that guy's example today. Everybody say today. today. That's what I'm praying for, today, okay? Here's the first spiritual surprise. A sinful man is saved by the sinless Jesus. Now, you know what? If you're an American and you're coming right out of the culture and you don't have a church background, this should surprise you. Because, you know, in our culture, everybody just assumes that anybody who would be spiritually sinless would be judgmental and, you know, condemning and all that. That's not what this guy discovers when he gets close to Jesus. I mean, look at verse 39. It says this guy was a criminal. Matthew's account of this story says, in the same way both of the robbers who were crucified with him were heaping insults on him at the beginning of this story. Now, apparently, there was some element of violence in their robberies. According to the Jewish law, Jewish people were not incarcerated. Uh, they did not execute, uh, execute nonviolent criminals. According to Jewish law, uh, a thief had to make restitution. And they had to make restitution three or four times the value of whatever they had stolen. And if they didn't, or if they couldn't, well, they just be, were sold into indentured servitude until they had worked that debt off. Some scholars believe that these men were partners of Barabbas. And Barabbas was an urban terrorist who was released by the Romans at Jesus' trial. In Mark chapter 15, it talks about how Barabbas had some partners who were arrested with him and some scholars believe these two guys that were crucified with Jesus were in that group. But the bottom line is that these two men were guilty of some form of dishonesty that was so heinous that they were being executed by the Romans in the worst possible way. But let me tell you the truth. Everybody here has committed sins that are heinous in a sense. Everybody here has been dishonest at one point or another every single day. One of us. Can you hear amen? amen? Okay, that's better than I thought. You know, I, <laughs> I, I heard about a teacher who was trying to use, you know, a news story to help teach her class. And somebody in her city had stolen a briefcase and had $5,000 in cash in it. And so she asked her fifth grade class, if you found that briefcase, would you return it? And one of the boys said, well, if it belonged to a poor family, I probably would. <laughs> now, I don't know how many poor families you know who have a briefcase with $5,000 in cash in it. But anyway, you know, this is kids trying to find some way to answer that. You know, the truth is we all struggle with dishonesty. And so in a minute, I'm going to ask everybody here who has never stolen anything to raise your hand and let us celebrate with you. Okay? Now, let me tell you what that means. That means you've never stolen a dime from your mother's purse. You never took an extra candy bar from a vending machine when two fell out and you only paid for one. Uh, you never stole an answer off a test paper, hour from your employer, uh, uh, unused, uh, misused a dollar on your expense account, or kept a dollar that you owed to the IRS. Let me see the hands of everybody here who has never stolen a thing. Okay, a lady raised her hand right here on Wednesday night. I couldn't believe it. Uh, and it turns out she thought I was saying, if you have stolen, raise your hand, and she raised both of them. But anyway, you know, I, uh, you know, I'm like, okay, you know what that means? Listen, all of us, all of us have broken the sixth commandment. We have all sinned. 
But friends, you know, being guilty of dishonesty, uh, it makes you a sinner. It doesn't necessarily make you a dishonest person. I mean, you know, you can fail to be honest at some point without actually becoming a dishonest person unless, unless dishonesty becomes the pattern of your life. It becomes what you give heart, soul, mind, and strength to like this thief did. Now listen to what Paul wrote about people who give themselves to wickedness. He said, do you not know that the wicked, I mean, people who just give themselves to it, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Paul says, wake up, bro. Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. What's his point? If your sin's in this list and you just think it ain't no big deal to God, that forgiving people is his job and he'll just grade on the curve and somehow you'll be okay, that is not what God thinks. Friends, James, the brother of Jesus said, whoever, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in just one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, do not commit murder, also said, do, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you're a lawbreaker. And so the bad news is, this thief came to that cross with a lifetime sin debt that was about to be paid in full in eternity. But the good news is that when he was on that cross, he met the one person in the world who could take away his sin guilt and take away the punishment he deserved. And friends, I just think it's so surprising that at the crucifixion, you know, the worst person you might imagine meeting, an urban terrorist, meets the best person in the world. And rather than getting stiff-armed or rejected, he was loved and accepted. Man, he found in Jesus somebody who would not compromise on the truth, but somebody who also had mercy and grace for people who were struggling to do the right thing. Now, you remember that passage I showed you a moment ago that gave that big, long list of sins? Do you know what the next verse after that passage says? It says, and that is what some of you were. Everybody say were. You used to be the kind of person who gave yourself to sin, but now you've been washed You've been sanctified. You've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Now, does that mean you don't sin anymore? No, it doesn't mean that. It just means that's not what you give your life to. It's not what you justify. It's not what you, you know, make excuses for. And I just think one of the spiritual surprises in the kingdom of God is that when a sinful person meets the one sinless person in the universe, they actually find love and acceptance and forgiveness if they choose to. And one of those guys chose to, and one of those guys did not. So friends, if you think you're so far from the love and forgiveness of Jesus that it could never reach you, you need to think again. Think again, you're uninformed. Now that's not the only spiritual surprise in this story. Friends, the worst circumstance sometimes <laughs> leads you to the best opportunity. Listen, Jesus didn't meet this thief in Starbucks to talk about his spiritual life. Man, they hang about nails on a blood-soaked cross being put to death. These guys are suffering. Man, I think it's interesting that Luke tells us that Jesus is hanging on the center cross. Now, I don't know why they separate these two urban terrorists by putting Jesus in the middle, 
But I'll tell you what it did. It fulfilled an 800-year-old biblical prophecy. 800 years earlier, the prophet Isaiah had said, God, God says, I will give him a portion among the great. Why? Because he poured out his life in death. He was numbered among the transgressors. He bore the sins of many. And he made intercession for, for transgressors on the cross. So, dude, if you've ever wondered if Jesus knows what it's like to be faithful, even though you had to suffer through it, dude, these, these guys are suffering. And, and let me just say that this also. These thieves were bitter, bitter. Now, when I lived in Richmond Hill a few years ago, uh, I lived next door to a prison warden. And I asked him one time, I said, dude, what's it like inside the prison? He said, you ever seen Shawshank Redemption? And I was like, yep, seen that movie. He said, it's exactly like that. He said, in that movie, they portray how new prisoners are brought into the system and all the older prisoners taunt them and intimidate them and threaten them and harass them. And especially if they're well-known or they're young or they're a person of faith because the people in the prison see that as some kind of a weakness. And, and you read the story, that's exactly what they did to Jesus. I mean, it says in Matthew, both of the robbers heaped insults on him for exactly the same reason. Jesus was young. He was well-known. He was a person of faith. But you know, man, when you're suffering... You choose to either become bitter or you can choose to become a better person. Man, I'm telling you, these thieves got bitter and Jesus could have as well. But friends, it's surprising to me that the ones who deserve punishment got bitter and the one who didn't deserve punishment did not become bitter. Wonder why? Maybe it was because Jesus remembered who he was. His identity was so fixed in his relationship with the Father that even on the cross, even in the most extreme pain, he remained true to his Father's will for him. Those thieves lashed out at him. Jesus didn't react to that. Nobody else set the agenda for him. He didn't let circumstances determine how he was going to respond and just lash back. He acted. He chose to act in a way that would honor his Father. Now, I think there are two really good pieces of news here, two pieces of good news here. N number one is when you're suffering, Jesus gets that. He gets, he's been there, he knows, he cares, he understands, he has suffered a lot more than you have no matter what. In addition though, if you're a follower of Jesus, his Holy Spirit is in you, empowering you. Uh, listen, rather than becoming bitter when you go through a time of suffering, you can actually become better. You can actually become a channel of blessing that makes life better for others. It's happening right now with compassion Christians who are going through cancer treatments in hospitals all over the U.S. as they're suffering. Now, we're going to see Jesus put on a clinic on this in just a minute, but isn't it surprising that in the worst place in the world, when these guys are acting their worst, they meet the best possible person and it changes one of them. Surprisingly enough, one of those thieves learned that being honest about your sin can actually lead not to shame, not to humiliation, but to forgiveness of sin. Now, sometime between 9 o'clock in the morning when they nailed these guys to the cross and noon when the sky just went dark, something happened in the heart of one of these guys. Now, you know, you can tell a lot about a person by how they act when they're in pain. And in some people, it just brings out the worst. And in some people, it brings out the best. You know, somebody has said that suffering does not produce character. It reveals and builds character. Now, these thieves had a ringside seat to just watch Jesus do what the apostle Peter would write about 20 years later when he said, you know what, man, they hurled insults at him. He didn't retaliate. 
When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and then live for righteousness. Listen, by his wounds, you were healed. Amen? Amen. By his wounds, you were healed. I think I know why Jesus was crucified between the two thieves. I think God worked that out. I think, I think God arranged that so that both of those thieves would have an equal opportunity to see, you know, the distinctive way that Jesus would die and face his trial. I think they, so both of them will be able to hear Jesus say over and over again, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Forgive the Romans, Lord. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive these Jewish leaders, Lord. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive these thieves, Lord. They don't know what they're doing. Where does that attitude come from? I think God had Jesus in the middle. So both of these guys would have an equal opportunity to call out to him for help. And that's exactly what one of them did. He knew his death was getting nearer and nearer, and he knew he was in trouble on earth and in eternity. And so he repented of his sin before the one person in the universe who could actually forgive his sins. And man, that's hard to do. That's hard for a man to do. Ask for help, isn't it? Guys, just go, "Mm mm-hmm. Hard for a man to ask for You know, we fear that honesty about our sin would be some kind of a weakness. When in reality, it's the smartest thing in the world because it leads to forgiveness. And that's when one of these thieves shows us another spiritual surprise. Being realistic about your death can often lead you to eternal life. Now, apparently, as Jesus was dying, how he died, how he died affected one of these guys. There came a point where this thief's mocking morphed into silence. And then his silence morphed into awareness. And then his awareness morphed into repentance. And repentance is a theological term. It means a change of mind that produces a change of life. And I'll tell you, look at the story. There are four indicators that this guy changed his mind and it changed his life. First of all, he started showing showing respect for God's authority. You know, in our culture, we don't show respect for anything, especially for people in authority. But this guy gets close to the end and he's like, hey, don't you fear God, man, really? I mean, once he realized that Jesus was the son of God and he had kingly authority over the Jews who were you know, conspiring and the Romans who were executing and everybody else, it suddenly occurs to him, dude, how foolish is it to curse God when you're going to be standing before him answering to him a moment after you die? This guy came to clarity, man. He summoned some humility. And when he did, he started showing respect for God's authority. You know, in Proverbs chapter one, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. When you begin to give God his proper respect, that's when you start getting smart. This guy's next step was clarity about his sin. He just got clear, man, look at verse 41. Man, we are punished justly. We are getting what our deeds deserve. You know, for the first time in this guy's life, he's not glossing over his sin anymore. He's not making excuses for it. (laughs) He got real. I mean, he admits for the first time, you know what, I'm a sinner. I deserve this. You know, if you've been reading through the uh, Psalms, uh, Proverbs challenge with us on Instagram, uh, and I really would encourage you to do that, uh, it's awesome. We're going through the book of Psalms and Proverbs this year, one, one little section at a time. But if you're with us on Monday, you read Psalm 32, where David actually talks about all four ways that you can offend the holiness of God, all four ways that you can commit a sin. Here's what David said. He said, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Now, transgression means doing what you know is wrong. You knew it was wrong, did it anyway because you're you, right? 
Uh, blessed is the one whose sin is covered. Now, sin is when you refuse to do what you should do. All right, transgression is when you trespass. You know, you do what you know is wrong. Sin is when you don't do what you're supposed to do. Blessed is the man whom the Lord counts no iniquity against him. Now, this is where you use something good in an evil way. You take something good and you corrupt it. It could be anything, food, drink, drugs, sex, money. You just corrupt, you corrupt it, any, anything, right? And then he goes on to say, blessed is the man whose spirit, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now, so deceit is projecting something that you know is false. You let somebody believe a lie or you tell a lie, all right? Now, what David is saying is there's four ways that we commit sin. We can you know, insist on doing what we know is wrong. We can refuse to do what we know is right. We can corrupt what, we, uh, what God intended for good. And then we can lie, we can deceive about what reality is. And friends, you can commit any one of those sins by word or deed or thought. Now, how many times do you do that a day? You ever thought about it? <laughs> how many times a day do you cross one of those lines, right? And I mean, if you could get it down to three times a day, that would be, that'd be a really good thing for you, bro. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that'd be a huge improvement for me. And I mean, for probably all of us, right? But if you got it down to three a day, dude, that's a thousand violations a year. And if you live to be 65 years old, you stand before God with 65,000 violations of his will against your... Re the point is, you don't really think you're some prize, do you? I mean, you don't really think, oh, I'm a lot nicer than Osama bin Laden. Yeah. Well, you're a lot worse than Jesus. Can I hear amen? Come on, man. I mean, you, 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 let's be honest. We're all way more like that thief than we are like Jesus. Can you hear amen? But what catches Jesus' attention about this guy is he's not rationalizing that anymore. He's not making excuses for that anymore. I mean, for the first time in his life, he's actually becoming honest about his failures. And you know, God loves that. You know, in Isaiah 66, the prophet Isaiah says, you know, of the Lord, this is the one I esteem the one who is humble and contrite in spirit, who trembles at the truth, right? Which means the sooner you stop pretending, the sooner you start seeing yourself the way God does, and then you start calling out for help. Which led this guy to repent and put his faith in Jesus. Look at verse 41. He recognizes this guy's never done anything wrong. Jesus has done nothing. It's amazing. This thief's eyes are clouding with death, and yet for the first time, he sees more clearly right now than he has ever seen in his life. And so he repents. Now, the Greek word for repent is a compound word. Uh, it, it comes from the Greek word metanoia. Meta means to change, like metaphysical or whatever. Noia means the mind. And he changed his mind about Jesus. I used to think you were a fake. Now I know better. I thought you were just another criminal. <laughs> now I know you've never done anything wrong. I used to think you were just a great teacher. And now I know that you are way, way, way more than that. You are, the, you are God in flesh. And just like we talked about Paul last week, for the first time, this guy knows. He knows that Jesus is the Son of God, which leads him to put his humble trust in Jesus. Look at verse 42. Jesus, he says, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's interesting, the verb form of this in the Greek language, it means that he said this over and over again, please, remember me, remember me. Jesus, please rem remember me when you come into your kingdom. In humility, he calls out to the only one who can save him. You know, we sang this song a minute ago, 
I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm. Do you see where Jesus is when this guy calls out to him and Jesus responds? He is nailed to a cross, his life sapping from his hands and feet and side and still concerned about the lost people around him. <laughs> who, who lives like that? Who's ever lived like that? Well, Jesus and then the people who follow him. <clears throat> In his book, A Violent Grace, Michael Card said with these words, an unnamed thief becomes the only one we know of to speak to Jesus on the cross without derision or mockery. I mean, with these words, an unnamed thief is the only person in the Bible who ever calls Jesus by his personal name without any kind of title attached. It's as if their mutual suffering has placed him in an intimate first name basis. And in so doing, he becomes the first to address Jesus the way most of us do today. And with these words, that unnamed thief becomes the first to be drawn to the crucified Jesus. You know, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And it happened on the cross. And that sinful, suffering, bitter man became a saved man. Dude, look at what Jesus does for this guy. Jesus changes everything for this new believer. Jesus saved him from hell. You know, normally when you use the word saved, it means you, you've averted some disaster. Did you save me from drowning? You saved me from embarrassing myself. You saved me from wrecking my car. Well, man, Jesus saved him from something a lot worse than dying. Friend, the worst thing that could happen to you is not to die. You're going to die. The worst thing is to die and then go into eternity separated forever from God. And I mean, if you don't have to believe me, let Jesus speak for himself. Jesus said, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body and after that can do no more. Because that's happened to Christians ever since, right? I'll show you whom you should fear. Fear the one who, after killing your body, has the power to cast you into hell. Now, I tell you, that's the one you need to fear. And, you know, Jesus talked a lot about hell. You just take what he said about it. He described it as eternal isolation, outer darkness, utter despair, constant weeping, gnashing of teeth. You ever done that? Gnash your teeth in kind of an intense remorse. You know, you're trying to get across the Georgia state line because you know the gas is cheaper there and you know you only got one more exit to go and then your truck's like, <laughs> you run out of gas in Florida and you go, God, I should have stopped at that last exit. I knew I was running out of gas. Or you're looking at a phone, of course, no compassion Christian would ever do this, but you're looking at your phone while you're driving a car, right? And then you bump into another car and then while you're sitting on the side of the road waiting on the cops to come, it's like, God, I'm so dumb. I know better than that. Think of all the people who have been in church every Easter who never made the decision this thief made. Think of all the people who've had a Christian friend live in their neighborhood who've invited them over and over, and they just blew it off, blew it off, whatever, one of these days, maybe. Think of all the people who will be in hell one day saying, ah, I had a thousand opportunities to become a follower of Jesus. Why didn't I grab one of them? Gah, my buddy invited me to church all the time. I felt I knew I needed to do something different. A dozen times, God, why didn't I do something about it? Friends, this guy, one heartbeat away from hell when Jesus saved him. But not just from hell, <laughs> Jesus saved him for heaven. You know, I read this amazing story this week about a little boy named Landon Whitley. Landon and his family were in a horrible automobile accident back in 1997. 
His dad was immediately killed in the accident. Landon was injured so badly that they had to airlift him by helicopter to the hospital. He went out three times in the helicopter. They had to revive him all along the way. The minute he gets to the hospital, he has to have brain surgery, and then he's in a coma for weeks, you know. And, and when he started showing some positive signs, you know, his mom started dreading having to tell him when he came out of that coma that his dad was dead. And when the little boy finally woke up, he said, Mom, I went to heaven three times. The first time I went, the angels were clapping and, and singing and happy to see me. The second time I went, I saw Dad. And Dad was with Jesus. And I wanted to stay with Dad. But Jesus just hugged me and said, no, you got to go back and tell everybody this story. And so that's when I came back. And he said, Mom, the third time I saw your other two kids. And when he said that, she started crying. Because she'd had two miscarriages that she had never told him anything about. Now, how do you explain a story like that? I don't know. I don't know. I know the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he had a, sem a very similar experience. You ought to read that. And friends, I know people in our church have had experiences like that that were not good. I have a really good friend that I love. Uh, he got super sick, went into a coma for a week or so. While I was in that coma, he had an experience. He met three people that he couldn't identify, thought he was going to heaven. They said, you're not welcome. You're not welcome here. And when he came out of that coma, <laughs> that brother repented and called out to Jesus. Anybody want to say praise the Lord? I'm just saying, man, come on. The New Testament is crystal clear. You're going to die. And the moment you do, you will be fully awake and fully aware somewhere. Jesus does not say to this guy, one of these days, one day in the future, maybe you're not going to get together in eternity. He didn't say that. He said, today. Everybody say today. today. Today, before this day is over, you and I will be together in paradise. Now, we did a whole message series on heaven last fall. I loved it. I loved it. I can't wait to get to heaven. I not necessarily want to go today, but I can't wait to get there, all right? And if you don't know what heaven's going to be like, you should listen to that series so you know what to look forward to. But friends, Jesus saved him from hell for heaven by grace. And he certainly was not saved because he lived a good life. He lived a terrible life. He was saved because before he died, he asked the one person who could forgive him, the one person who loved him enough that he would forgive him, he asked Jesus to forgive him and be his Lord and his Savior. And when he did, his sins were forgiven by the shed blood of Jesus in his place on the cross, all his sins washed away. Think about it. A lifetime of theft, dishonesty, all of that washed away. Amazing. Lies. You ever told one of those? This guy washed away. Violence. You ever done that in your home? After a ball game in a bar somewhere? Washed away. Hate. People who aren't like me, don't look like me, not the same color as me, washed away. Probably the sin that will send more people to hell than anything else. Disbelief. Too proud. Oh, man, I ain't saying I need anybody. Washed away. Gone. You know what Isaiah said? In the book of Isaiah, it says, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. That's what forgiveness does. Washes it. The Apostle Paul 
guy who lived a nasty life, violent, mean, power-hungry, all about me. When he came to Jesus, he said, you know, it's by grace that you've been saved. It's grace, bro. You don't earn this. You don't suck it up and get there. <laughs> you know, come on, man. This is so far beyond anything you could do. It's, it's a gift. By the gift of God, you have been saved through faith. You put your faith in Jesus, and this is not from yourselves. It, what is it talking about? Faith? Absolutely not. Can't possibly mean that. Salvation. This grace, this salvation, it is the gift of God. It doesn't come to you because you work for it so that no one can boast. That dying thief expressed faith in the only way he could. He called out to Jesus, remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom. Now, what about us? I mean, some people point to the thief on the cross and say, that's how you come to Jesus today. Let me remind you of something. That guy died under the Old Testament law. He died before the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus from the grave. Now, after Jesus paid the ransom for our sins on the cross and then was buried and rose to, from the dead, everybody who put their faith in Jesus then confessed their faith in Jesus. This is what it looks like at midnight, right? They put their faith in Jesus, then they told somebody. They weren't a secret, they ain't no secret agents, no secret followers of Jesus. They told somebody and they repented of their sins and they were baptized into Christ. Everybody in the New Testament who came to Christ after the resurrection of Jesus put their faith in Christ, then they told somebody and repented of their sins and were baptized into Christ. Don't take my word for it. There are nine conversion stories in the book of Acts. Every single one follows that pattern. Everybody who came to Christ after the resurrection expressed their faith, repented of their sins, were baptized into Christ as a declaration of their new life in Christ. And friends, that's why I'm praying that everybody who came to Jesus over this past year through this pandemic, especially everybody on Compassion Online, is going to confess that faith to somebody. Tell us in the chat. Repent of your sins and be baptized into Christ this Easter. Man, we're, we're hoping you'll send us a video or a picture so that we can celebrate with you. And if you need any help, man, just say so in the chat right now. Or go to CompassionChristian.com slash baptism. we got instructional videos there. We'll help you out. Man, if you're on one of our, if you're in this room right now, and you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the only one who can save, and you have never put your faith in him, You've never told anybody. You've never repented of your sins and been baptized into Christ. Dude, I'm praying that you will make that move by Easter or the week after, and we'll help you. We'll help you out today. But friends, there's one final surprise in this story I hope you'll see. This guy's conversion was both a terrible example and a wonderful example at the same time. It's terrible because he was saved in the last hours of his life. Minutes before he died, this guy got saved. Think, friends, you've got to know that following Jesus is not about surviving. Man, it's about thriving, right? I mean, think about the joy and the peace and the goodness this guy could have experienced. Think about the impact he could have had on his family and his friends and the world. And all of that was just wasted because he came to Jesus in the last minutes of his life. On the other hand, this guy's a great example. Because he wasn't saved at his last opportunity. He was saved at his first. First time he met Jesus was a few minutes before he died, and he did not hesitate. He grabbed it. He gave his life to Christ. And, and let me tell you, and that he's a great example for us all. You know, somebody has said there's one deathbed conversion in the New Testament so that nobody will ever think it's too late. But there's only one so that you won't be presumptuous or procrastinate. The prophet Isaiah said, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him 
while he's near. And if you do, John, you know, Jesus' buddy said, to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Now let me tell you who you are right now. Look at this phrase, the children of God. You know who you are right now? You're the creation of God. You're made in God's image. You're an eternal being. You were made in the image of your holy creator. It's awesome. But you are not a child of God until you put your faith in Jesus. And if you have not made that choice, now's the time. I hope you'll do it today. Summon your courage. Summon some humility. Yield to the Lord Jesus. That's why we take communion every week. Every week since this day, the children of God have gotten together to take the Lord's Supper. You know why? Because Jesus saved us, and we know it. <laughs> you know, one of those thieves was saved, one was not. Because one put their faith in Jesus, and the other, as far as we know, did not. And so we take a piece of bread, and it reminds us that Jesus is real. The story is real. It's history, man. Jesus actually lived and laughed and cried and died for our sins and then rose from the dead. It's a historic fact. We'll celebrate next week. And then we take a little drink of this juice that just reminds us that it was the blood of Christ that washed away the sins of the world. Not good works. Not you sucking it up, getting it together somehow. No, 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 no. It was a gift. A gift that Jesus gave on the cross. Now, as you're preparing to take communion today, you received a little piece of white paper on the way in here today. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Write on that piece of paper the sin you are most thankful that Jesus forgave. R write on that piece of paper the sin that could have separated you from God for all eternity. You know what it was for me? Trusting myself, my good works, my attitude, me being better than somebody else, me, 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 I, 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 I had eye problems and it would have killed me until I asked Jesus to save me. And I quit trusting myself. I started trusting him. It changed everything. Do the same thing for you. Ask for billions of people. But you're going to have to humble yourself and come to Jesus like this thief did. So at the end of our service, we're going to take the Lord's Supper here and just, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to receive the Lord's Supper. And then our campus pastor is going to come back up and they're going to help us out here. But, but I hope you'll write that. Maybe if you haven't given your life to Christ yet, write the thing that's keeping you from that. Write it and give it to the Lord and then tell somebody. I'll tell you why I can't believe in Christ. because You might be surprised that God's already put a, a friend in your circle of friends that knows the answer to your concern. Tell somebody. Father, thank you. Thank you that we can take the communion today. If we can take this piece of bread that represents the body of Jesus that he sacrificed for us. We can take this juice, Lord, that represents the blood of Christ that washed away the sins of the world. And I pray, God, that you would bless us now as we receive this communion to remember what Jesus did for that thief and what Jesus did for this thief. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.